0: Chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 18. Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. And when Jesus came into the official's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder. And he said, Leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and he took her by the hand. And the girl got up, and the news spread throughout all the land. You know, this this portion is, is also talked about in two of the other Gospels, and we'll look at that. When the synagogue official comes to Jesus and says, My daughter died, what Matthew is reporting is the second thing that the synagogue official said. The synagogue official initially said to Jesus, My daughter is sick. And during the period while Jesus was in transition, coming to his house, the daughter ends up dying. And that's when the word comes that your daughter is dead. And Jesus said, Don't worry, I'm still on my way. And he took care of it. Now let's turn over to Mark chapter 5 and look at the parallel account and and, and get get a little bit more insight from there. Mark Mark gives us us a little bit more information on this than Matthew does. Matthew um, Matthew is is, is sort of like a newsman. He he gives very brief snippets of of what happens, and some of the other gospel writers fill in some of the details. And in Mark Mark chapter 5... Uh, this portion picks up again in verse 22. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians And had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. And and then it goes on, uh, and then he he ends up healing her. And then in verse 35 it says And while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any more? But Jesus overheard what was being spoken and said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Now look over in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, in verse uh, 41. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet, and he began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official and said, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. And he came into the house, and they did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, Stop weeping, for she's not died, but only asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Right. So those are the three accounts of what had happened. So this man, a synagogue official named Jairus, so, obviously, a Jewish official comes and initially says, My daughter is quite ill at the point of death. Please come and, and take care of her. And then it says that, that while he was on his way, this woman comes who has this hemorrhage and had been suffering for 12 years. And you will remember what we read in, in the Gospel according to Mark, is that Mark said that she had endured at the hands of many physicians, And she had spent all her money on those physicians, and none of them were able to take care of her. And it said she had endured much at the hands of physicians, almost implying like they put her through an awful lot, took all her money, and still they couldn't heal her. It's interesting, Luke doesn't record it with that level of detail. Although generally Luke, being a physician, records a lot of detail about healings, he conveniently, as a physician, does not report the part where she spent all her money with physicians and none of them were able to help her. All he does report is he says, he says, uh, in verse 43, and the woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone, You know, he doesn't specifically say, well, the doctors sucked up all her money in the process. So I've I've always found that interesting about Luke. In this one occasion where doctors didn't do very well, he he, he chose not to write about it. Um, But this gives us an indication that these are very real scriptures written by real people. And not a fabrication. But you see that, that the cry of the Father is come and help. Oh Jesus, come and help. And as he's going, this woman touches him. And when he says, Who is it who touched me? The word is, What do you mean, who touched you? There's crowds just pressing in on you. There's all sorts of people bumping into you. And you're saying, Who is it who touched me? And and, and, and so Peter says that to him in verse 45 of Luke chapter 8. He says, Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Power went out of Jesus and into the woman. Power goes out of Jesus and in to certain people. Not everybody that bumps into Jesus is getting hit with power. Only particular people that touch Jesus are getting hit with power. Power goes out of Jesus and into the woman. Only particular people. Only when we really seek God for power will we receive it. You can bump into Jesus all you want at church and see all these different things, but until we learn to cry out to Him in our need, we will not receive His power. We do not receive primarily, it says in in the epistle of James, because we do not ask. That is the primary reason that we do not receive, because we do not ask. Then he says the second reason why we do not receive is that when we ask, we ask with selfish motives. So that if number one, we learn to ask, number two, we learn to ask with proper motives, then we will receive. If we are asking for power for ministry on behalf of a ministry to see people's lives touched And to have our own life decrease. So in other words, it's nothing about me. Nothing about people looking at me. But about people looking at Jesus. We can expect tremendous power to come upon us. Tremendous power. If we would only press into Jesus and seek Him. All sorts of people can be bumping up and never experience the power of God. And this woman comes... And she says, I know if I can only but touch him. I have tried for 12 years to go to doctors. And this hemorrhage keeps hemorrhaging. She, she probably had some, some woman-related problem, which is not at all uncommon in women in the middle age of life. Or probably in that time was, was near the latter age of their life. And Jesus was able to deal with it. And only He was able to deal with it. And that's so often what happens. We try so many things. And God is patiently standing there. We try so many things to get some level of breakthrough on something. And then finally, when nothing else happens, we'll come to Jesus. And that's better than not coming at all. But how God wants us to be appealing to Him... Again and again. Now this was a special situation where Jesus ministered physically. But the proper teaching here is that she touched Jesus so much that power came out of Him and into her. He says, power went out of me. So in other words, power comes out of God and into us if we will seek and ask Him. This happens in my life when I seek Him. Just standing right here on Friday night, we had this, 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 this teaching on, on uh, marriage and sex, and it's related to the teaching that I had given in the class in the fall, and very related to the teaching that I had given that, that's already up on my website. But it was, that teaching works best, not for college students. That teaching works best, and I've seen it, works best for young married couples because they have experienced what hell in the Christian bedroom is. You know, I had one college student ask me in last week, what is it with the church? They seem to be so caught up on teaching on sex. And I said, no, you have it wrong. I was caught up with teaching on sex you know, back in the fall. The church has only been doing this now for its, for its second week. So it hasn't been doing it very long. So I think they're only doing this for like three weeks, three lessons on it. So all of a sudden it's characterized as the church has caught up with this because they've done, you know, one whole lesson on it already. But the other thing is that the the reason why it was so important was that, that in this, there are some people that deeply struggle with this. And there are others that have no struggle there are some women that hear about this and they're saying, why all the hubbub? Well, there are some young men who cannot get their mind off of sexual things and lustful things. And to them, they well know why this is addressed. And if you have no struggle with these things, God bless you. You are very, very fortunate. But there's a whole group of other people that have deep struggles with this don't worry, the church will get to your struggles very soon. They'll hit on it. And those struggles may be, may be bitterness. Those struggles may be other things. And they'll be touched upon. But that's what the church is all about. But anyway, so I'm, I'm here and, and they told me that there would be about 20 people had, had signed up that they were going to attend this thing. And I went to the chapel on campus on Friday, which was the day that I was going to speak, but in the afternoon, and I got on my knees and I said, Lord, there's a lot more than 20 people or 10 couples that need to hear this. I said, I pray for 100 people, 100 people to come to that teaching because I know how hurting young Christian marriages are. I've been there and I know it. And I know that the pain that many young women go through in marriage because they're trying to figure out this guy and trying to figure out what is his problem. And there were 100 people in here Friday night. And, and, and uh, um, God delivered with 100 people. Roger set up 55 chairs around tables. And when I came in here, I instructed a couple other guys. I said, set up some more tables. Set them up. And we had about 75 chairs and tables set up. And then the people just started coming in. And they used every chair available. They, they cleaned out the rack of chairs. And there were uh, at least 100 people in here. And what God did is He touched. And there were just lines of people. I didn't get home until very late Friday night because God was coming. But I cried out to God, This is not easy for me to stand up here and talk about issues of sex. People think, oh, you know, Jim tour just does it. And then to take these things where I'm very revealing about my own life and post it on the internet, it's still not easy for me. But I cry out to God and I say, Lord, would you fill me and touch me and let me be open with my life so that it might help the lives of others, particularly young men that are struggling? And you know what God does in His grace? Boom! He hits me with power. And I'm able to deliver this message. And I get done, I'm like, whoa! God, you really moved. This is what God does in our life when we will appeal to Him and say, God, help me! God, would you help me? God, would you pour your power upon me? And you know what Jesus says? He says, power has just gone out of me and into you. God does this, but so few believers will ever appeal to God and say, God, empower me and fill me. And they never in their whole life experience the power of God taking them beyond themselves. There is nothing magic about this. There is nothing unique about me or this woman. Jesus will gladly do it to anyone who will call upon his name. He will give it. Will we cry out to Him is the issue. In that crowd, there were probably many sick people. But there was only one who said, If I can only but touch that fringe of His garment, I would be healed. How far, how sick, how many years of hemorrhaging do we have to go through? before we will cry out to God and touch the fringe of Jesus' garment and say, fill me and empower me, how far must we go? How long do you have to be on the mission field before you will cry out, Father, fill me. Father, use me. Father, touch lives through me. Father, give me converts for Your name and for Your glory. How far do we have to go? It says power went out of Jesus and into her. And then you know what happens? You minister and power will go out of you and into the hearers. And when I got done Friday night, I just wanted to go home and cry. Because as I was speaking, I saw hurting lives. I saw young women just absolutely resonating with what I was saying. Remember the things that I taught you? Remember the things that I put on the internet about the pain that women go through? Often in marriage, trying to understand their Christian husband and his sexuality. And I could see on their faces this resonance of pain. And it just was touching lives. And I could see the pain in young men. That we're standing there and hearing somebody open up about their lives and their struggles and how they brought those struggles right into marriage with them. Not wanting to, not intending to, but so doing it and influencing and impacting and hurting the woman that they loved. And wondering, could there ever be freedom from this? Or am I Set like this for life. And hearing this prayer of redemption. I had a guy. He must have been 65 years old. And I handed out that prayer of redemption on a sheet of paper at, at the end. So, they, so that they could learn that prayer of redemption. He walked up to me with that sheet of paper. In his 60's he said. Is that redemption prayer on this sheet of paper? And I knew why he was asking me. He didn't have his glasses. He couldn't see it but he wanted to make sure he had something to take home with him. This guy was 65 years old and never learned to have his lustful passions redeemed to have a right sexual expression. 65 years old, and I went home and I wept. Every bit of power that God had filled me with had gone out of me, and there was no strength left. I was physically tired. I had been on campus since 6 a.m., and then come here, you know, handed out an exam at 6 p.m., and then came here, set up the sound system, and delivered this thing, didn't get out of here to late, there was nothing left, power had gone out of me, and I was glad it had, because Jesus gives us power, not to stay within us, but to go out of us into somebody else. He gladly makes us the conduit of His power, and there is no greater Richness in the Christian experience than to be the conduit of Jesus' power. And if you don't know Him, you will never experience this power. It comes through salvation in Jesus Christ, number one, and there is salvation in no other name, Jesus says. You cannot be saved, you cannot experience this power without coming before the feet of Jesus, falling on your knees, and saying, Jesus, I believe you are Lord, and you have risen from the dead. Without that, you can never get it. And unless you cry out to Him, and unless we learn to cry out to Him as believers, we will never experience this kind of power without crying out to Him. A couple walked up to me. They had been married for 30 years. And they said to me, We wish we had heard this when we had gotten married. You have no idea the struggles we have gone through for 30 years and this couple is very active in this church very active and the husband is in leadership and I'm telling you you know as I told you this is real stuff what I shared with you about the sexual realm is real stuff that impacts real Christian lives the pain that women go through because their husbands have never been redeemed sexually and not that their husbands enjoy it. They just never had the prescription for redemption. They never were taught. And they said, I wish we had gone through this. Another young couple came up here and they said, you know, you just hit this right on the head. This is exactly what we're going through. And just one after another, because I told them, I would not leave this place until every question that you have would, would, would come forth. I had an old guy, 70 years old. He couldn't get near me. He finally had to go because there were just lines of people. He just came up. And I thought, when I saw this guy in his 70s, with his wife in her 70s, I thought, you know, what are they going to think of this teaching? You know, their hormones have been inactive for many years. He walked by me and he just went, just with this, this compassion in his eyes and two thumbs up, like you did it. You did it, because this guy lived through it. I had another, another man walk up to me, and his wife wasn't here. He says, I want my wife to hear it. And I gave him the URL, and he was like, he said, how, how can I get this information? I said, right there at that website, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. He said, do you have a tape? Do you have a tape? I mean, the man is just crying out for help, just crying out. Jesus fills with power. And when I went home last night, I just held my wife and cried. Because I said, do you know the hurting lives that were touched there? And the lives and the pain that has been there. Because they've never learned to be free. And I said, Lord, thank you for filling with power thank you for answering my prayer to bring 100 when they told me it would be 20. In fact, they said it was going to be 18 exactly. And I prayed for 100. And there were 100 people. And the reason I know there were 100 is that when this place cleared out and the janitor was gone, I was the last person out of here and I counted chairs. There were 100 people because every chair was full in here. God touched lives. God did something. It is a blessing to have the power of God flow through us. But it will not come unless we will touch the fringe of Jesus' garment. You can go to church and I can go to church and we can bump up against Jesus and Peter will turn and say, "Everybody's bumping up against you. Isn't that wonderful? You saw the Lord today. But you'll never know His power until you ask Him. And the time you need His power is in those difficult situations. When it's beyond yourself to be able to do it. When you come to your wit's end. When Jairus comes and says, My daughter is dying. I am a synagogue official. And the last thing I want to do as a synagogue official is fall at the feet of this man who all the Pharisees are saying is a fraud. The last thing I want to do. But all I know is my 12-year-old daughter is near death. And unless you come, she will die. And then, as Jesus is interrupted because of this woman hemorrhaging, word comes that this daughter is dead. And then the synagogue official says, My daughter is dead, falling at His feet. And Jesus said, Don't worry, she's only asleep. I'm coming. He goes there and He says, She's only asleep. It says that they laughed at Him. All the Gospels report that they laugh at Jesus when He said, She's only asleep. This is normal for the world to mock at the work that Jesus does. They will mock, they will laugh, but they will see His work. I just bought 70 books. A book called, Who Was Adam? It was that book that was read by Professor Smalley. And two days before he died, he said to me, If the scientific community would read this book, he had recently finished it, 50% of them would become Christians. Because Rick Smalley came to the Lord near the end of his life. And I bought a bunch of copies of those books and sent them to professors around the country that knew Rick Smalley with this quote. I sent it to them and now I, I just bought another 70 and I distributed it And I put them this weekend, yesterday, for three hours, I was filling out envelopes and signing things and putting it in the mailbox of every one of the faculty members in the Department of Chemistry with this quote from Rick Smalley. And I say, in Rick's name, I therefore give this to you. You read it and be the judge. After I put Rick's quote there, that 50% of the scientists would become Christian. And put this in their mailbox. And I well expect that on Monday morning when they start opening up these envelopes and reading this, that some of them are going to snicker and some of them are going to laugh. And you want to know something? I'm fine with that. They laughed at Jesus. They laughed at my Lord again and again. But I know the power of God because this is going to touch some lives because I prayed over them. I don't know if out of the 70 it's going to be 5 that are going to end up reading it, but that's okay. When we make ourselves vulnerable... We receive the power and the blessing of God. It says in Acts chapter 5 verse 41, when the Jews, the apostles were flogged, they were beaten because of their witness. And it says, and they went out rejoicing, praising God that they were permitted to suffer shame for His name. Look in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Verse 40. They took His advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. Acts 5.41 So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. Look in, in, in verse forty. They had been ordered. They had been flogged and then ordered not to speak any more in the name of Jesus. And what they do, they begin out singing, "Jesus, thank you that we could be that, that, that we could be counted worthy to suffer shame for your name." And then what they do, they said, "Well, the authorities told us we can't speak about Jesus anymore. I guess to be good Christians, we better keep our mouths shut." No, it says they went into the temple. I mean, into the temple. You talk about in their faith and from house to house. If you said from house to house, okay, they're in the little clandestine, little small groups. They're meeting and talking about Jesus. No, right in their face. They went right back into the temple. They must not have been good Christians because you and I wouldn't do that. We should never do anything that would be offensive. Never offend anybody. Jesus would never offend anyone. No. You know, good Christians don't offend. Good Christians are good. They keep their mouths shut because anything they say might offend. And they rejoice because they could suffer shame for His name. And as I'm filling this out, I'm thinking, surely this man will chuckle. But I'm thinking, good. 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 May I suffer shame for the name of my Lord. And as I'm filling out another one, I'm saying, this person may be deeply offended because I know he's a Jew, and he knows that I know he's a Jew. But I say, no. How could I hold it back from him? Matthew, Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. If you speak up for him, you will not be spared. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 25 says, um, let's look, starting at verse 24, "...a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household?" They call Jesus Beelzebul, meaning the ruler of the demons. That's what they call Jesus. He says, if they call me rulers of the demons, how much more are they going to do it to you, Jesus says. You will not be spared if you speak up His name. You will not be spared. And if you want to be spared, shut your mouth about the testimony of Jesus and you'll be spared. But you will never experience the glories of God unless you bear His name. Jesus said, where I am, there shall my servant also be. And by the way, Whoever serves me, the Father will honor him, it says in John chapter 12. We can bear in his name, and we call upon him in power. So Jairus, Jesus walks into Jairus' house, and they laugh at him when he says she's only asleep. Because Jesus knew he could raise the dead. And people will mock, especially when you fall. You will feel that I have blown it, I have ruined it in my life. And if that hasn't happened, it's only because you haven't lived long enough. There will be many occasions when you will feel that I have blown my witness, I have blown my testimony, I have blown my life, I have blown my career. And you cry out to Jesus and you watch, He will raise the dead. And the world will laugh at you, oh Christian, oh yeah, your Jesus will deliver you, ha ha ha. And He will deliver us. In the name of Jesus, He will deliver us. Jesus raises the dead. It says, and the little girl's spirit returned to her. Your spirit will return to you and you will rise up. And Jesus said, and now give her something to eat. You know, he wanted again to make sure that they understood this was a physical resurrection. He had brought her up from the dead. And he said, give her something to eat. You can see your own self raised from great problems, great difficulties in your life, if you will. But cry out to Jesus and say, there is no hope. Jairus fell at his feet. He said, my daughter is terribly sick. And then he falls at his feet. He says, she's dead now. He said, don't worry. I know how to raise the dead. And Jesus knows how to raise the dead. If we will cry out to Him, and I am telling you, God does this. He takes us in our weakness and makes it our strength. He does this all the time. And I'm a living testimony of this. My greatest fear in life was standing before people and speaking. That was my greatest fear. When I was a kid, I could not look an adult in the eye. My mother used to say, look them in the eye. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I could not speak before people. And you know what God does? He takes your greatest weakness and He makes it your greatest strength. And I don't care who I'm looking at. I will just drill them right in the eyes and blast them. Because God fills me. God absolutely fills me. He takes our weakness and He delights to make us strong. He says, "I have." He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? I have taken the foolish things of the world, the base things of the world, and the despised, the things that are not, I have taken that I might confound the wise. He takes the base things, the lowest things. He says, there are not many wise among you, not many noble. But God has chosen the base things of the world, the lowest, that He might confound the wise. He takes your very weakness, and if you ask Him, He makes it your greatest strength. And without knowing Him, there is no way to get this. The first step is salvation. We must know Him. We must bow to His Lordship Accept and believe in His resurrection. And then learn to call upon His name. As that woman did and said, I touched the fringe of your garment. And you watch, power will flow out of Him and into you. And that's not just to resurre- resonate around in you and shake your head up. That's for you to go out and, and, and touch other people with that power. Let's pray. Father I thank you so much for these young people and I pray that they would learn to visit with you and to call upon you and then to grab the cloak of your garment and say Lord give me your power give me your power for what I am up against and when they feel weak and totally inadequate they would learn to cr- to run to you to fall at your feet and say Lord save me for I am dying And Father, that You would so come and by the power of Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection that You would fill them with power to accomplish whatever the task is for them. Whether it's the task of taking an exam or giving a talk or giving a lecture or teaching a Bible study or speaking of Your name. And Father, may they be fearless about Your name. Though the world will laugh and the world will mock just as it did with Jesus. And as Jesus said, if they did it to him, how much more will they mock us? Jesus himself told us that. But may they go out with great joy, considering that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Father, I pray that you touch their lives, that they would consider it a great joy to suffer shame. For your name. And that in that, you would honor them. Father, thank you for these precious young lives. For those that are going forth in missions. Father, bless them richly. Use them. Let them cry out to you for power. To cry out like Rachel did. Give me children or I die. That they would see converts. And Father, I pray for those who are graduating. God, let them take the message of the cross the message of this Gospel, this good news, and touch many other lives. And Father, I know many of them are going to be asked to lead. May they not shrink back. In the name of Jesus, Amen.